On today's episode, we have a pro runner spotlight with Joel Tobin White. Welcome to the podcast, helping you train, rehab, and run smarter. When I first started running in my 20s, I knew it would be something I'd be passionate about for the rest of my life. But unfortunately, developing injury after injury disrupted my progress and left me undertrained at the start line on race day. Even with my knowledge as a physio, I still fell victim to the vicious injury cycle and when searching for answers, struggled to decipher between common running myths and evidence-based guidance. That's what this podcast is here to help you with. So join me as a Run Smarter Scholar and let's break the injury cycle by raising your running IQ and achieving running feats you never thought possible. Welcome, scholars, to a new segment of the podcast, talking, of course, about the Pro Runner Spotlight. Whether you have been following the posts over the last um, couple of weeks, you'll know that I asked you guys to submit your questions um, to Joel if you have any. Uh, This is going to be a new segment, which I'd like your feedback on, whether we continue it or not. I think it would be a really, really nice addition to all the other segments that we currently have. Um, interviewing a pro runner and diving into their training, diving into their injury history, how they prevent injuries, how they rehab their injuries, what their racing rituals are like, what their fueling is like. I know that's a very popular subject and just, you know, put their training under the microscope and see what they highly prioritize and what they don't spend so much time on. Um, and also gives you an opportunity to ask some pro questions. Um, so yeah, some submit your pro questions and learn, learn about them. I think there's a lot to learn from professionals. Um, I think this conversation with Joel, if anything, just makes him more relatable instead of just seeing what they, what workouts they do or what they post and see these unattainable numbers. And it's like really far removed from the recreational runner in terms of what they're accomplishing. But, um, what work they do to get there and know that it's not smooth sailings as well really, really helps. And I think left a really engaging interview. So Joel Tobin White, he is an athlete, of course. He's also a running coach. He is an ex-pro triathlete and now he's turned running full-time. And he also co-hosts the For the Kudos podcast with his friend and pro runner, Brett Robinson, and they do interviews, but... um, They also do just these solo chats, kind of like long form chats, talking about their injuries, how they're rehabbing their current injuries, how they're managing their current injuries, but also taking a deep dive into their training. So if you really enjoyed this episode, uh, go ahead and check out that for the Kudos podcast because you get to examine their training, look at other athletes, look at their training. So this particular segment is almost like the the whole ethos of their podcast. So if you want to hear more of it, go check out that podcast. Link will be in the show notes. Um, Before we dive into the interview as well, let's welcome Dan Dofton, who has signed up uh, this week to become a patron in the honors tier. So welcome aboard, Dan. Welcome to the family. And also Michael Baldessia, who has upgraded his patron tier, upgraded to the tenure tier. So Thanks, Michael. Thanks for your support. And thanks, Dan, for your support as well. Um, If you have been following the posts over on the social media accounts, uh, you'll know that last week we did an Ask Me Anything 
episode and we dived into asking patron questions about stress fractures, stress fracture management, talking about um, understriding, seeing if it's, is it actually possible or is it um, dangerous to understride? Someone also asked about doing sets. Um, can we only do, is it okay if we only do one set of exercise and just change it up? And also asking about compression socks and the benefits of those. And so uh, dived into all of those questions. And after releasing that episode, Joanne, one of the people submitting these questions actually commented back and said, brilliant Brody, thanks so much for answering all my questions so comprehensively, extremely helpful. Being a patron feels like a huge bargain and that just made me feel really good. It's what I aim to do. Those who want to support the show, I want to try and give as much value as possible so that it um, yeah feels like a bargain. I'm glad that that effect is coming into place. And if you want to sign up to be a patron, if you haven't done so already, or just to at least check out the tiers, uh, the link will be in the show notes. And if you do sign up, absolutely means the world to me. I get notified whenever new patrons sign up and it just lights up my day. And um, if you're wanting to do so, um, yeah, it would mean a lot. So let's dive into my conversation with Joel. Joel, thanks for joining me on the podcast. No worries at all, Brody. Thank you so much for having me. It's weird um, being on the, the receiving end of a podcast. Yeah, I'm sure it's going to flow very naturally. <laughs> exactly right. For those who aren't familiar with you, uh, would you mind introducing yourself and starting off with like, you know, your athletic career uh, to date? Yeah. So, um, uh, I started, uh, look, I'm, tw- I'm 29 years old. Um, I'm living in Melbourne at the moment and currently I'm training um, and racing with Melbourne Track Club. So, my coach is uh, Collis Birmingham and, you know, he works alongside Nick Badeau at, uh, at MTC. I'm sure a lot of the listeners will be across that. Um, as for my journey into sort of into that world, um, I was a runner back when I was, I started running. If we go really far back, my parents put me into, uh, little athletics at the age of five because I was super hyperactive. Um, you know, and I, I think it was actually under the, one of the teach my teacher's recommendations that they put me into something like that to burn off the energy. Cause I was just, <laughs> I was just, uh, like very, very hyperactive. Um, so I, you know, started my, my journey into running at the age of five and little athletics. Um, and then sort of, you know, naturally just progressed, progressed through, through that, through the, um, the uh, beanbag shot put and discus and stuff that you do into like the more, I think the longer, the long distance running event when you're that age is 400 meters. <laughs> um, and that was my favorite. And then I just, you know, slowly progressed through little athletics and, um, you know, back by the middle of high school, like under 13, 14, 15, I started getting like, you know, a lot of medals and, you know, winning state cross country and stuff like that. So I was getting up near the pointy end com- competitive wise. And, um, and then, I, yeah, middle of high school, probably year nine, um, year eight sort of thing, maybe just as I started high school, uh, I, my mum was doing a lot of swimming and my dad would cycle a lot and, you know, we'd go away on family holidays and I'd, I'd sort of do try and do that with them while I was running and then they're like, why don't you try do a, try do a triathlon? Um, so... <laughs> I think I did do the wheat bix or something maybe in like year seven or in primary primary school, but like a lot of people do the wheat bix triathlon, you know, without um, 
without much interest into it. Um, but yeah, then I started doing some, you know, more triathlon. I ended up loving it. Ended up getting a triathlon coach and then deciding to piss running right off. And I was like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make it as a, as a professional triathlete. That's what I want to do. Um, and so I sort of, you know, worked up the junior ranks in Australia of that um, and then got sort of talent ID'd from the Victorian Institute of Sport just as I was finishing high school. Um, and then spent, uh, you know, I finished high school in 2012 and I spent 2013, 14, 15 and 16 living overseas um, between Australia and, and Europe and America racing and training as a professional triathlete. Um, and then from after the sort of four years of that, I realized I didn't like triathlon too much anymore and, and my, my true passion was running. Um, and so I went back back to that and, and transitioned in 2017 straight back to, to full-time running and, and I've been here ever since. Why the change? Well, where, how did you lose the love for triathlons? Um, yeah, I get asked this quite a lot. Um, it's It's... It was a case of, you know, like with, with triathlon, I don't know if you have many triathlete listeners, um, but, you know, I was racing ITU triathlon stuff. So it's so much about uh, where you come out in the water, like de- depending on how good you swim will dictate the rest of your race. So if you miss the front pack and the front pack is going to ride really fast that day, no matter how good you are at running, you could be two minutes behind when you start the run. Um, and, you know, it, it was so much more tactical than uh than say running running is pretty much you know like however how good you are at running is probably how you're going to finish in the race generally you know some things like track stuff like 1500 meters and 800s get pretty tactical but at the end of the day the best you know pretty much the best 10,000 meter runner is going to win the 10,000 meters whereas in triathlon it felt like you know if it's if everything came together on the on the bike, like all the groups came together, then it, f- it favors the runners. But then, a lo- you know, I feel like the Brownleys changed triathlon a lot. Um, they just made every they made all the swim the swimmers and the riders just get so much better. Um, one thing that sort of stuck with me was when I was you know in the just in one of like the national talent academies through high school. Um, I don't know if you know if you've heard the name Peter Robertson. So he was a three-time world champ um, and he was an Australian and he was sort of my mentor, you know, through high school. And he, I think, won world champs in like 2001, three and five or something like that, you know, back early 2000s. And he said to me, he's like, Joel, as good of an athlete you are as now, you know, like coming out of high school, you'd be right up there with me um, at world champs 20 years ago. The 15, 20 years ago, but it's wow. like the sport has changed so like, and this is elite world champs. You know, he's like, man, you're running, you know, I ran a 14, 5 5K on the track when I was 15. And he's like, I, you know, he, he, I'm sure, you know, he, he was, he was still a better athlete. He said, he said that the bike was probably the biggest difference, but like we would swim and, and he's like far out, man, you would, you would have been one of the good swimmers you know, 15 years ago, but the sport has changed so much. You know, you've got French guys swimming 15 minute, 1500s. So the sport was just, you know, changing and I was constantly on the back foot. And yeah, I had some good results um, here and there, but I never really made it to the top, that top level. Um, you know, there's the World Tri-Series where you have, you'd have, uh, you know, these are guys like, you know, Matt Hauser, Jake Bertwistle and stuff like that all racing those now. I never got to that level. You know, I raced World Cups and Continental Cups just under that, but, you know, I wasn't really going for Olympics and stuff like that. And so I thought, 
ah, oh, stuff this, go on, go on a running. <laughs> yeah. And so what running distances have you now gravitated towards now that you've moved out of triathlons? Um, so when I first joined, you know, moved across to, to Melbourne track club, um, Nick was my coach and, and he was like just throwing me into a bit of everything. Um, I, I did to be honest, I, I, I had done a 1500 as that was, I was going to say I, I've done everything from three K up, but I actually have done one 1500 as well, which is, uh, which is fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, pretty much my I, I get better the longer I, it goes. I think um, roads is my forte, and I think that's just comes from the triathlon background. Um, if you were looking at my PB list, you would probably say my half marathon is the is the standout result. Um, but yeah, I've, I've I've got you know I've run thirteen thirty eight for for five thousand on the track and twenty eight forty eight I think for ten did that at Zatapec a couple of years ago um but yeah you know my running's been plagued with injuries every single year uh, so I feel like I haven't you know been able to get to get to my potential as a runner I, th- I feel like just as things start aligning you know I, ha- I put down a really good performance like my 6203 half marathon uh, but then you know shortly after I'm I'm injured and I think to be a super successful runner at the highest level you know you, you can't just pull one race, couple of good races out and then get injured. You know, you need to be banking race after race after race and week after week after week of training. Yeah, sounds really tough to do. Um, do you, are you working on anything in particular now? Do you have any like short-term, long-term goals anywhere you want to see yourself in the next couple of years? Yeah, so I, at the end of uh, or the middle of last year, I had an injury um, that was just like, you know, super frustrating, just it, typical overuse injury um it was like patellofemoral uh thing in my knee and and um i had to call my season early and i was in a pretty bad place mentally um because it had been like you know four four five years of of just like you know running running well then getting injured then coming back running well getting injured and i was seeing a psychologist sports psych at the time and we sort of uncovered this um you know this part about me that that is, you know, ultra competitive and it's, you know, an asset that, that can be used, uh, but it was also, you know, detrimental to one of the, you know, that's why one of the reasons why um, we thought I was getting injured so much was pretty much that I was overtraining, pushing too hard when I didn't need to. Um, so I sort of, you know, had a bit of an, uh, an awakening um, and people that listen to my listen to my podcast would, would laugh because, you know, we joke that it was like new Joel, old Joel sort of thing. Um, and so I've, since that point, I, um, the, of, of end of last year, I just sort of took this new approach where I just tried to simplify everything, chill out, um, not push so hard in training when I don't have to, you know, training is training. Um, I'm a coach as well, and you know I coach a bunch of a bunch of recreational runners, and it's the thing I try and push into them the most. You know, if I set seven by one k at four minute pace, I want that. I don't need you to do it at three fifties to show me how good good you are. And I think I spent so many years doing that to Nick Bedone and Collis and stuff that I, it was my undoing. I just kept getting injured. Um, but you know, as for yeah. goals. For goals, to be honest, is 
I'm I've stepped up my training again recently, um, and I'm constantly navigating little niggles and, uh, and and things. But my main goal above all is to stay injury free for as long as possible. So that was my goal. You know, if I could spend the whole of 2023 injury free, then I feel like anything is possible. Um, rather than you know, oh, I want to run this time at this in this race. Um, it's sort of, yeah, it's interesting because most, you know, most elite runners, their goals would be, especially at the age of 29, you know, it'd be, oh, I want to, I want to make the A qualifier in this and I want to make, or, you know, I want to run this time by in this race, or I want to win this. And I just had to have this whole re reshuffle of, um, of my goals and, and decided that, yeah, it's just all about staying injury free. Yeah. I think it's reassuring for people to listen to looking at a professional athlete and seeing that you do go through these ebbs and flows of injuries feeling good injuries and you know it can kind of see like a lot of recreational runners can look at someone's Strava or look at um races and just think you know how are they getting to that level like why am i just falling to pieces every time i push myself what am i doing differently but you know it does it's really really hard to have that consistency and really train as hard as you want and go back to back races without pushing that line and it, it's a fine fine balance which i'll dive to in a second but um yeah to your point like the the mental side of things and the, the psychological side of things like a lot of runners whether you're recreational or professional there you can be just as competitive you might not be as fast but some people have that drive and as soon as they feel good they want to train as hard as they physically can they want to push their capabilities I reckon I've seen uh, more competitiveness in my athletes that I coach than I have on the elite, you know, the, than the elites that I train with. Like that level of some of those recreational runners, it's just, yeah. Too, and it's, it's, it is exactly as you said, Brody, to their detriment. It's, uh, it's yeah. running is a simple sport. Um, I feel like, I, you know, I use cycling as an, as a, as an example quite a lot. In that, you know, you, you hear these stories of, of, you know, crazy Tour de France riders like grinding their teeth down to the, down to the bone because they're pushing through so much pain. And it's all about, you know, just pushing, pushing, pushing and, you know, um, going as hard as you can. Never mind all the performance enhancing drugs a lot of them want in the 90s. But, <laughs> you know, it's, um, it's one of those sports where it's really like, you know, hardcore and you just push and you push and it's running's not like that. If you do that, you're going to break down. Our bodies break so easy. It's actually not about that, you know. Why was why is Stuart McSwain one of our best, you know, best Australian runners ever? Because he spent six, seven, maybe even eight years without a big, massive injury, and he just kept layering. You know what Nick Bado did with him was just, you know, amazing. It was just like layering month after month after month after month after month, and he just gets a little bit better, gets a little bit better, and gets a little bit better. You know, if Stewie was. If imagine Stewie was say ten, you know, ten years uh, older, and he was trying to train, coming up as Mottram was there, and if Stewie was a really competitive person and was trying to like beat Mottram at training and go past him, and you know, I'm sure Stewie would you would get injured. It's just one of those things. It's like you sort of have to in this sport, um, and it's taken me so many years to to realize it's you really have to just run with your run to yourself to yourself you know not really worry about what other people are doing Mm. yeah sure it's great to have training partners and things like that but you can't be letting people around you sort of dictate how hard you push yeah i think it's really hard for people to appreciate how much load goes through their body how much ground reaction force goes through their body how much 
Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign up link is in the show notes. So fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. Requirements for your tendons and your ligaments and your muscles when you run. It doesn't seem like a lot when you're actually running and you're trying to appreciate the the forces. But like you say, compared to cycling, you're looking at when, when we're comparing, you know, force to body weight, you know, you're probably one times your body weight, maybe point seven times your body weight pushing through that pedal. Whereas even if, even in like slow running, we're looking at two to three times your body weight that shocks yeah. through um, and just that accumulation of force and that accumulation that your body has to attenuate those ripples as it, as your foot hits the ground takes its toll and your fatigue and you, those ground reaction forces change. And it's why it's, risky but that's why we need to be really careful and the sometimes you need to tell yourself okay now this session's going to be a slow run and this is designed to be a slow run let me really take it down if i feel good i'm going to stay slow if i know i'm going to post it onto strava i'm going to stay slow it's like yeah. those little things that turn a, an easy run into a medium run and then definitely people just get overloaded yeah, strava's definitely killed you know, killed that for a lot of people and it's, you know, social media, uh, look, at, while on one hand, social media is great. It's, oh, geez, it's, it has its negatives in running. Um, I'm myself, you know, I'm not on Strava. Well, I am on Strava, but it became like this big podcast joke and this was all around, you know, when I was having this, this sort of awakening and that I was training and overthinking things is that I was on Strava and, you know, while I'm not, um, you know, a professional athlete. I sort of call myself like like that semi elite, right? It's like, yeah, I've had some good some good glimpses, but I haven't made Olympics. I haven't made Com Games. I haven't made World Champ. You know, I made one World Half Team and it got cancelled because of COVID. So I'm not at the same level as say Brett Robinson, who I do the podcast with, or Jack Rayner. You know, these guys are like my best mates. I'm not at their level, um, but being on the podcast, you know, you get a bit more notoriety and stuff. And I would have, you know, people commenting and all that on my Strava and it starts to make you feel pretty good, right? And it's just like blowing smoke up your ass, which is not needed. And it's just a whole lot of bullshit. And I think, um, you know, with with Strava, like while it is really positive and that, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of positivity um, with it, I think – what a lot of people do is, you know, that they they worry too much about what other people think, right? So, you know, you're uploading a run and it's like, oh, well, I, I don't want to run 4.30 pace. People are going to, you know, what if people think, I'm, people are going to think I'm unfit. I'm going to, I'm going to try to run this long run at 4.15 pace, okay, as a result. What I say to my athletes is no one should ever care about what you do except on race day. To be honest, most people don't mm. really care about what anyone else does, right? Everyone's, a lot of us are selfish. We all sort of look at externally yeah. and we think that everyone's worrying about it, but no, everyone really is worrying about worrying about them, um, you know, other people, but no one's, yeah, you know, so it's sort of, no one really cares what, what you're doing because um, everyone's too too focused on themselves. But yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. It's, I, I don't know how to combat it. You know, it's it's just tricky. Um, I just say to my athletes, you know, like we we train to race, and that's 
yeah. you know, if 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 you if you are a really competitive person and say you're in a training group, um, and someone is you know smashing you in training all the time and they run three ten at um, say Melbourne Marathon as an example, but you run two fifty eight, well, you should be a better runner because you ran two fifty eight. You beat them by twelve minutes. That's the only thing that should matter. Shouldn't matter if they were in front of you at training. It shouldn't matter if they beat you in that long run. It's like, well, you beat them on race day. It's the only thing that counts. Yeah, yeah, well said. Um, you mentioned a couple of injuries or, you know, you've been plagued by injuries throughout your career. Uh, last year you said there was patellofemoral pain. Is there any, has there been like major like recurrences of one type of injury or have you managed to accumulate a whole bunch? Yeah, a whole bunch. If the if I, if I go through them all, the podcast will go for four hours. So we can't <laughs> um, we can't do that. But I... Yeah, I've never had a recurring injury. Um, like a funny, a funny story. I, I was actually telling telling my housemate about this on a run on a run yesterday. Um, that so the only re- recurring thing I had once was I, I I had this pain in my sacrum. This would have been three years ago. It's this incredible incredible pain. Like I couldn't even walk, and I remember walking out. Um, to go get a scan and I could hardly even get out of my car. Like it was just so pa- painful. And I remember laughing to myself as I was walking in to get the scan thinking this is there's going to be like a five-centimeter hole in my bone for how much pain I'm in. <laughs> and I went and got the scan and they came back and they said, oh, no, there's nothing wrong with the bone. You just have an inflamed SIJ. And I was like, what? Uh-huh. I don't even know what an SIJ is. They cortisoned it because it was so angry. And, you know, five days later I was running and I never felt it again. And then fast forward wow. to... Two years later, which was um, COVID, it was one of the COVID years. It was when Gold Coast um, Marathon weekend got cancelled. But we were up there, um, up in the Gold Coast training because we we'd sort of left Melbourne to avoid the lockdown um, to get up there and train. And Brett and, Brett and uh, Jack were training for um, Tokyo Olympics Marathon. So I was sort of going up there and I was training with them and the similar pain came on. And it was the, it was, in fact, it was the exact same pain that came on. And I was just like, well, I don't, I don't need a scan. I know what it is. It's, it's an SI, you know, SIJ, inflamed SIJ. Let's get a cortisone in there. I'll have four or five days off and I'll be, I'll be fine. You know, I'm a, I'm a competitive athlete, naive. Thankfully, the sports doctor didn't listen to me and they said, no, we'll get you a scan. I got a scan and there was a big sacrum stress fracture. <laughs> So it was just wow. goes to show it's like the exact same thing and it was a total different injury. So, you know, and I've had I've had a like a bunch of other things. Do you know what a pliker is? Yes. Yeah, in your knee. Yeah. Yeah. So that's I, I only ask that because there's I've asked a lot of physios and they're like, Pliker, what's that? It's quite a rare, a rare thing. I don't think I've seen too many plikers, but I know of it from suspecting of plikers and reading in textbooks and stuff, but I wouldn't know. I wouldn't be confident in terms of you know, presentations and treatments and those sorts of things. Oh, yeah, it's incredibly, it's incredibly rare um, that it's sim- that it's symptomatic. Um, but you know, I, four, this would have been four years ago, three or four years ago. Um, I was running with knee pain, and it just would not get better. Uh, I did everything, you know, under the sun. I was getting PRP injections. Um, I was, you know, would have a month off, and it would die down, and then I'd start building back slowly, and just come back. And I was like, what is this? Um, and my sports doctor at the time just, you know, we, I can't tell you how much money I must have spent on appointments to him over the time. It was a very stressful, this would have lasted four months. 
And finally, he said, oh, I think you just we just need a surgeon to go in and have a look to see what's going on. And I went and saw the surgeon and he told me to, he said he wanted me to go for a run to the, you know, this, um, his offices so that it could be as inflamed as possible and have a look. And he, he sort of, you know, got, I, I got in there and he, and he, he assessed me and he said, oh, I think you've got a plica. And my sports doctor, who was with me at the time, goes, oh, yeah, I thought about that. And I remember thinking, mate, I saw you for about six appointments and you never once mentioned a plica. <laughs> Long story short, um, the surgeon just, you know, I went, I went under, um, you know, I think I had an appointment two days later, went into theatre, they removed it, cleaned it up. I was running three days after surgery and never felt it again. So I feel like I've had every weird injury, <laughs> weird injury under the sun. Yeah, strange ones. Um, I'd be curious to know because you mentioned the old Joel, new Joel sort of training philosophies and those sorts of things and your current method of just really simplifying your training. Can you maybe just break down what your training looked like beforehand and like how you're now simplifying things? Well, to be honest, the, the actual training, if you're looking at it in paper, hasn't changed because my coach is, you know, my coach um, – is the the same? Yeah, well, I I was you know looked after um, by Nick Badeau, um for for my the majority of of, uh, of my time at MTC. But then Collis came on came on board and was you know working more involved with some of the distance guys, and so I started working more with Collis. But you know those guys work together, so the training's pretty much stayed the same. It's more my approach to training um, that that changed. Okay, but elaborate. Yeah. Um, so do you want me to sort of tell you like what a typical training week sort of sounds like or more just about Definitely. That'd be great. Yeah. You'd like that. So with um with MTC it changes in summer. Um uh, but I'll tell you, you know, we're in winter right now, so I'll tell you what a typical winter is for the um the MTC people based in Melbourne. Um we have three sessions. So it's a, a Tuesday we meet at the TAN, and that can be anything from, you know, eight by one kilometers. That's the, the most typical that we do. Um, you know, we could do two by two K four by 500. It's a lot of sort of more endurance stuff, but quite, but quite still hard um, compared to say on Tuesdays in summer, we're at Waverley on a grass track and we're doing much fa- sort of faster stuff. You know, a lot of, you know, it could be, you know, 400s or 600s, 800s, 1200s, just things more, um, you know, more towards the summer track racing as opposed to the winter stuff, which is why we're at the tan. And then Thursday is just threshold, super simple. MTC do the same threshold session um, every single week. Um, we used to do it at Caulfield on the grass. Now they're doing repairs to the track there. So we're at, um, we're at Albert Park Lake. And that's just depending on, you know, sort of what distance you are, like some of the – the track runners might do 20 minutes threshold, some do 25, but, you know, me, a bit more distance. So I just do, you know, 30 minutes threshold or it goes up to two laps around the lake, um, which can be, you know, 10K. It's pretty much aiming for 10K threshold. And then Saturday, we're at Waddle Park for Hills. Um, and that is in winter, it's the same session. You do three laps of this hilly thing. It's I think it ends up being about 6K. Um, bit over 6k maybe um, and it's where you run up the hills hard and then you run down the hills easy 
So it's like this sort of, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a circuit. In summer, it's more hill reps, like, you know, going hard up the hills and then a bit of threshold at the top oval and then hill reps and stuff. It's not like a continuous three-lap thing that we do in winter. Sunday, long run, same as what I'd say 99% of your listeners do. Um, and then all throughout the, the week is just filled with as much easy running as your body can handle. Um, so that's the typical MTC thing. How, and that's what I've gone back to as of four or five weeks ago, um, which is why I sort of mentioned I'm, I'm managing niggles and stuff because I've gone back to those three hard sessions. But the three, the two years before that, like a lot through COVID, I was just on two workouts a week, which was the Tuesday. And my threshold was on a Friday. Um, so, you know, as for, as for easy running, Monday for me is is an hour, Wednesday and Thursday. Well, so when I'm on when I was on two sessions a week, it was Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, an hour, Tuesday, Friday, the workout days, Sunday is a long run, getting up to sort of two hours. Um and I would have Saturday either off or a short little jog, but at the moment I'm I'm doing Monday sort of 50 to 60 minutes depending on how I feel because the long runs, I'm, I'm getting quite tired. Um, Tuesday, workout. Wednesday, um, you know, between an hour and, and sort of 90 minutes in the morning. Um, and then, you know, again, depending on how, how I'm feeling, um, Thursday's threshold. Friday's my day off. Saturday, Wattle Park, Sunday, long run. I'm sitting at about 115 right. Ks a week. Sorry, that that's going to be pretty confusing for all the all the listeners there, but <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think that it lays it out well. Um, have you worked out around about how much of this weekly mileage consists of easy stuff compared to yeah. the faster stuff in terms of percentage? Yeah, we we actually had a, one of our podcast episodes. Um, we talked about this on our on our Patreon, um, and it it pretty much follows the eighty twenty rule. Yeah, it's mm. you know, for example. So on on a Tuesday, it's eight k's worth of work. Um, Thursday's ten k's. So you got eighteen, and then your Saturday Waddle Park is is makes it twenty four. So, um, yeah. yeah, you do the maths on that. You, I think you're far smarter than me. <laughs> no, no, I'll trust you. I won't do the maths here. <laughs> I'll just trust your word. Um, what about like? Uh, other workouts, like do you do any other cross training or any other strength training or any other supplement stuff to to add in there? Yeah, so I was, I, I do definitely cross train. Um, I spend like a lot of the time either on the an elliptical trainer at the gym that I go to. Um, so I work out of a gym, um, Project Better in, in Collingwood. And I do, I was, so I was doing strength training. Um, my strength coach, Richie Johnson, um, he, he he got me doing this you know uh, this program across two days in the week, but we took that we took a set the second day out of the gym program when I went to three sessions, like three workouts a week a month ago, just because it's just too much load, you know, trying to do two hard gym yeah. sessions plus three hard workouts, it's just it gets a bit much. Um, but I have a bike, I've got two bike, I've got a road bike and a gravel bike, and I do you know cross training on that as well. Um. One thing I think that's you know people seem to forget about with running is they think that you can just like they forget that cross training is still load on your body. 
So mm. they think, oh, just because, and I don't mean necessarily the physical impact load that we talk about um, that you you know you mentioned before. For example, swimming zero, <laughs> the impact of your body zero percent body weight. Um, but things like that, it's still the more you're training aerobically, the the more f- you know, the more fatigued your body is, the slower you are going to co- recover from your runs, right? Um, so if you're, if you have a hard workout on a, on a Tuesday morning, um, and you're, you know, going for say like an hour easy ride that night, that's, you know, that's good. That's good aerobic, aerobic cross training. But if you then think you're just going to go, you're going to go to the, to the swimming pool and swim as hard as you can. Oh, it's no impact, but you know, I'm going to get fitter, you know, before you know it, you're just like overtraining like a triathlete and your running's just going to slow down. So it's, um, yeah, that's sort of my view on cross training. People need to think about like you don't get stronger during those workouts. You get stronger after those workouts once you've had enough recovery, once you give your body the adequate recovery and that's where that adaptation cycle comes into it. And so if you're supplementing, you know, a rest day or supplementing, you know, your afternoon off with swimming, that is your body not like you say, not going through too much load, but, you know, the heart rate's elevating, your stress response, your exercise um, endorphins and all that sort of stuff's like peaking to the point where you're, you're exercising and not recovering. And so exactly. you need to really try and find that balance because we do need to, we do need that recovery. Same, same reason why some people might go for a run and then go to work where they're stressed out and their heart rate's elevated and they're sweating and they're, you know, um, those sort of stress hormones are really circulating through their body. They're not in recovery mode. And that's why some people develop overuse injuries when their training stays the same, but they're not getting as much sleep. They're stressed. They're dealing with work and family and all that sort of stuff. And so So it needs to factor in. Yeah. I have, you've got people, that's what I have, I have people that I coach and, you know, they might see the Ks they're doing on on the, and this is why, you know, we tie in the social media thing. They'll, They'll see the amount of Ks they're doing and they'll look at, athlete B, one of their friends or whatever and how many k's they're doing and it's like well you know they might have a cushy relaxed relaxed office job and they're just chilling and they're just sort of cruising through and, and being able to relax and then they're going to go for their afternoon run after work it's like well athlete a might be on the tools you know they could be a laborer on, yeah. on on site and it's like well if you look at you know compare athlete a and b it's like well they can't be doing the same amount of running um because you know, what yep. you're just going to break down. It's definitely something that people people don't address. But yeah, you you said it perfectly, Brody, with um the the adaptation. It's you know we we sort of say it's like absorbing. You have to absorb the training. You know that's that's where mm. the fitness better benefits come from. Yeah, I have a ton of questions. Um, I, I want to make sure I get through all of them. But just quickly, uh, what does your strength session look like if you're doing it once a week? Uh, what's what does it look like in, within that session? Yeah, so. Um, I start off with uh, a lot of hip, hip and um, glute band sort of activation stuff, like a lot of people do when they start their gym session. Just make sh- making sure everything's sort of switched on, and then I um, I go through. This was actually something that Richie put into my program, and I think it helped me a lot. Um, and I'd never really done it before. Was hip? Uh, what are they called? Um, so I put like the, you know, the cable machine and I put it around my knee and I lie on my back and I just like, it's, it's not a hip thrust. It's a, like a hip pull or something. Like a hip flexion. Hip flexion. Yeah. Resisted hip flexion. Exactly. Exactly right. So I'm just laying on my back, bringing my knee up sort of high and it's just like really working all those hip 
the hip flexors. Um, and that's something I'd never really done before um, strength-wise. So I sort of start off with that. Then I do um, like a rear foot elevated split squat. Um, oh, there's another name for them. I always forget. Is it? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Bulgarian split Bulgarian. squat. Yeah. yeah, Bulgarian. That's right. Um, I do them with weight. I've, you know, I've got up to about 20 kilos on each. I hold them in, as dumbbells. Uh, I know you can do them, you know, with a bar bar above um, behind your head and stuff like that. Um, or you can do the weight in front of you. So I do that. And then I do, um, yeah, I do a couple of, you know, hamstring and, and, you know, hamstring bridges and stuff like that. Um, and then I do, as for, you know, my big weights, I'm just pretty much doing leg press. Um, so the, the idea that Richie had with this was like no fluff. I'm I'm tired, you know, I'm tired from running. I'm just going in to the gym for 45 minutes and doing say five, 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 six exercises and doing them right. And then just getting the fuck out of there so I can go and recover. Right. Yeah. So it's not like people just can get carried away and there's so many things you can do. And I think a lot of, a lot of gym coaches, you know, they'll get a runner and they'll, it's, it's one of those things where they sort of see them, their, their role is, is so important. They can almost overthink it. And it's like, I'm going to, you know, give them this massive, amazing program that looks, looks so good on paper, but it's just, it's like, well, it's no, it's no good if you, if they're going then to the run the next day and they're completely cooked right from doing too much in the gym so i suppose that was richie's um that was richie's you know thought process behind it um what i was doing on the second day uh before i removed it in in place of that sort of third uh workout with mtc was a lot of metronome stuff and i tell you like i don't know if you know you you have um people doing that or if you do it yourself but uh the doms I got from that. So like, you know, calf raise to, I think it was like 120 BPM. I think that's what it was. Maybe a hundred BPM or something. Yeah. It's just a single leg calf raise, no weight. And it's just about, you know, I think from memory, Richie said, it's, it's about, you know, training the muscles in the way that they uh, run. Right. It's like sort of that, that quick fire re- repeated. Boom, 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 boom. Jeez. I've never had worse doms. Than do, you know, do, doing those the first time, you know, and there was a quad one, you know, a quad extension, a leg extension one to a metronome, and it's just like, oh, they're so hard. They make me feel sick thinking about it, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of it's a good tip for those who are doing, say, who have like a calf or an Achilles issue, and then they break down it. Like they do their strength training, they do their rehab, but then the injury resurfaces as soon as they start running again or running fast again. It's a good way of sort of bridging the gap. You're sort of wanting to get that bounce and that plyometric power-based sort of um, stimulus to the the muscles and the tendons. And you can do that yeah. in the gym by, you can do some weights. You can add the weights, but I wouldn't recommend doing a lot of weight <laughs> and yeah. yeah, bumping up the the tempo, bumping up that, that metronome to then get a little bit of bounce in the tissues. And then that would closely mimic the bounce and the, um, the bounding sort of exercise required for running. So it's good to, if that's ever happening to an injured runner. Yeah, give it a shot. While we're on that topic, um, Angie, one of our listeners, did submit a question. I think it ties in really well with this one. She asked how much strength training should a person do when they're preparing for a triathlon because a lot more disciplines, a lot more time. Um, how much would you recommend and help out Angie? 
Yeah. Uh, Angie, I would say it's it's one of those questions, you know, we're on the topic of like overtraining and, and what we were saying before. And it's like if someone said to me, how much training should uh, a marathoner do before their first marathon? It's like, well, that's just so open-ended. And it's like, how can I tell you? Because I don't know how much training you can handle. Um, I would say, so every, you know, I, there'd be five different triathletes doing five different strength programs that work for them. Um you know, my advice, if the if the funds allowed, Angie, would be to you know get yourself assessed from a professional, um, whether it's a you know strength conditioning coach or, or a physio and someone that can really check check your body and then find out your weaknesses because you might if you're just getting a generic program, um, you know, done you know you search triathlon gym for triathletes online, you could be wasting time strengthening things that are you know really like the assets in your body that don't need don't need uh, too much work and, and you're sort of naturally blessed in, in that way. But then there might be other muscle groups or, or areas of a concern that you're not addressing. Um, so I think like everyone's gym program should be should be quite unique. Like obviously there's the basic stuff that we can all do to increase power and, and, and strength and, and thus, you know, performance on race day. Um, but it is, it, is really, it is really difficult. I would say, you know, one big thing that I had to focus on, Angie, I would I suppose in triathlon, you'd look at what's your what's your worst leg. So if it's the swim, then my advice would you be probably spending a majority of your time in the gym on stuff that is going to improve your swim. And and the same goes for running. If you you know if you're a really really good swimmer, um, and you know you you you're smashing the swim, but you're wanting to get better at running, I wouldn't be spending two days doing upper body in the gym. You know, I'd probably want to be trying to get lighter and, and doing more things that in the gym that will allow you to run more and get better at running. Yeah, great tip. And it just seems like with, with triathlons, it's just like you're juggling so many balls in the air. It's it's so tough to exactly try right. and find out what to do. But your advice is spot on. It's like trying to identify what's what's some of your weak links and spend some a little bit more time and energy on addressing those weak links because you might have working your quad strength and it might be your strongest link and it could be time better spent. So yeah, great advice there. No worries. Try my best. While we're <laughs> smashing out some of these questions, let's go through um, on the topic of injuries. We had Sarah ask, what are, what are the warning signs between pushing yourself and ending up injured and walking that line isn't easy. So do you have any advice for Sarah? Yeah, it's, it's, it's the one, like, honestly, the, the key I would say it's like a really, really good question, and it's it's a really difficult one to answer because you know I struggled with that so much. As you, you said, it's it's you're walking the tightrope because if you never push yourself in training, you're not going to improve, right? But I sort of have this rule now that if you are ever going near maximal effort in training, you're doing it wrong, especially in running. You know, if we're talking triathlon, I'm sure you can you know you can swim to maximal effort and be on the bike at maximal effort because the risk of injury is 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 far less but running wise you should not be going near maximal effort like if you and that doesn't mean you know sprinting as such it could be you know maximum effort based on the session of what you're doing so if you're doing a um three by three kilometers you know you should not be running that last three kilometers as hard as you can it's just you you, that's when your body is gonna gonna go into into overtraining um and that's when you're gonna gonna get injured the other thing i would say is is really you have to be in tune with your body so if if you're going to if you're walking up the stairs 
to get into bed at night and your Achilles feels a little bit stiff or sore, that's your body telling you that there's probably something going on there, right? So I think a lot of people block stuff out um, and, you know, you're, you're a physio, Brody, you, you probably have this happen a lot, but it's like, oh, yeah, my, my, quad, my quad was hurting for a month, but I just kept running and now I'm fucked. Yeah. And it's like, well, why did you, you know, why did why didn't you address it earlier? Um so I think you know being in tune with your body and 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 sort of being constantly able to able to you know pull yourself back when things are sore and and I would say you know it's always about pulling yourself back. That's pretty much what I said and it's something you said about that when we're talking about the easy running Brody when yeah, and this works for for like the hard sessions, right? It, as well as as the uh, easy sessions. If you have an easy run and you feel amazing in it, that does not mean you change the approach to the easy run. Just be happy that it feels so easy. Have a smile on your face. Be running and going, wow, you know, say five minute thirty pace. This feels amazing. If you always, if your coach is telling you to run five minute thirty pace and it feels amazing, then run 5.30 pace and feel amazing. Don't then go, oh, well, this means I can run five-minute pace. Um, and the same yeah. thing for workouts. If, if, you're, if you've got this set workout and, you know, you've, you've, your coach has given it, given it to you, just because it feels good doesn't mean you start winding up the dial. And that's happened to me so many times where, you know, I've, I've been in, in training sessions, you know, at like with MTC where I've like dropped – you know, dropped some really good runners, you know, back like, you know, you, you drop like these elite, you know, Olympians. So we're talking like, you know, Stuart McSwain or, or I don't actually, I don't think I've ever dropped Stuart in my entire life, but say, you know, Rainer or <laughs> Brett or Dave McNeil and, and these guys. And it's like, they're all better runners than me. And I've had moments in training where I can like drop them and stuff. And then I think, oh yeah. And it's like, well, no, all that means is I'm overtraining. I'm pushing too hard when I don't need to be because they're not, because they could drop me if they wanted to, but they're choosing not to. So... Yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a long, long-winded answer there, but it's a huge mindset shift for any runner to say, like, just because you're training harder doesn't mean you're going to race faster. And no, exactly just because right. you are feeling good, and just because you are going for an easy run and it feels easy, don't convince yourself to run faster because you want to perform better or because you want yeah. a better marathon. You're not. Some people can convince themselves like they're slacking off like if it's an easy run and it's truly easy and they're hardly breaking a sweat they're like oh i should be spending my time better pushing myself so that i can get to a faster marathon um and some people just don't learn that you know some people go no. decades and they just never break They'll that never learn. mindset shift and the way yeah the way i say it, it's like if you if you if you choose to never learn it, then you'll you'll never reach your potential because at some point you do have to get that. Like I, I do easy runs at like 120 heart rate. I'm running it with my heart rate like 120 and it's just like I'm running like 430s, you know. It's like, well, on race day for a half marathon, I can hold quicker than three-minute pace. So it should feel yeah. easy. Whereas I, I coach athletes who would struggle to run under four minutes for a, for a half marathon, but they're doing the easy jog the same pace I am. So it's yeah. just, and they're, they're saying, oh, it's easy. And it's like, yeah, it might, <laughs> it's easy, but it's not, it's not as easy as it yeah. could be is what I'm saying. I've picked up on something that you've been saying th throughout this. Um, Cause you talked about the slow runs and you mentioned your whole training routine um, 
you sort of space out the the easy runs as much as you can tolerate. So you've got those quality speed sessions yeah. and uh, the harder sessions, and then everything just like spreads out whatever slow mileage you can tolerate or whatever you can do. And I think you you mentioned something about today. This day would be a slow day or or an easy day if I if I'm ready for it, if I can tolerate it. So I guess mm. you're listening to your body throughout the week to see Constantly. what session you do. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, well, the session, the workouts stay the same. Um, but there's a, you know, a little bit of flexibility, I suppose, you know, I'm, I'm 29 years old right now. And it's like, I know a lot about, I know a lot about running. I, I coach, uh, I, I coach a lot of runners. So even though I have, I have a coach um, myself, you know, if I, you know, for ex- a perfect example was last week, last weekend, I was supposed to um, do two hours, a two hour long run and an hour 45 in, I was just cooked and I could feel it in my body. Um, and I was, I was just, you know, completely exhausted. So I, I, I went a few more minutes and then I went, no, that's enough. And it's like, I could hmm. have got to two hours, you know, I could have, but at, at what cost? And you know what? Like I, I, um, touch wood, it, it's, it ends up being okay. But I actually pulled up sort of sore regardless. And I've still been a little bit sore. I'm trying to get, you know, get a lot of treatment on it and stuff because I've got a big race next weekend. Um, we'll see how, how we go. And hopefully it's not anything too sinister. But they're the sort of calls you need to make. If you, but you know what? It's, it's really difficult because it can go both ways. You know, whereas me as a coach, I see I've got 50% of my athletes that I coach are like that. Where if they say, "Hey, I was cooked. I couldn't get it done," I'm like, "Yeah, I know. That's so fine. I totally, I totally respect that." And then there's another, you know, I would say not half. It's probably less than where you have those people that the moment it gets tough, they're out, you know. And it's like I've, you know, they're doing a marathon block, and I'm progressing their long run up. And it's like you need to be doing these two and a half hour long runs if you want to, um, if you want to perform really well on race day. And they, you know, they'll stop at ninety three or four weeks in a row well, there'll always be something and there's always something and then before you know it it's like you sort of you people can often lie to themselves i find as well so it's yeah it's tricky i guess it's like am i truly like gassed fatigued is my body really telling me it doesn't like this mileage or is it mainly just getting a little bit tough like is my mind exactly struggling like because you can easily convince yourself okay this is too hard i'm going to stop but sometimes that's just psychological that's a psychological barrier and is it my mind telling me that i've had enough or is my body actually telling me that i need to slow down is it an overuse injury or is it just my this um sort of mindset um psychological barrier that i need to pass is sort of trying to interpret the two and it's really really hard to do you know, it doesn't matter if you're a recreational runner or an, or an elite runner. It's constantly, you know, we're trying to navigate that space of of interpreting those because it's it can, it can be really difficult. You know, right? you've got the you've got athletes on on one hand that are going to be they're going to feel that uh, that physical pain of their body shutting themselves down and their body saying no more, no more. You're going to get injured, and they're going to say, oh, that's my brain. That's psychological weakness. That's my brain telling me to stop. So I'm going to keep pushing. And it's like, oh, boom, stress fracture. Yeah. <laughs> Sandrine asks, what are your thoughts about running twice a day? Um, is Have you ever tried that in your in your workout sessions? Do you recommend it for some runners? Um, what are your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Um, really running, we should as runners be running as much as possible that our body allows. 
And to do that, obviously, it takes a lot of time and a lot of trial and error. Um, so if you are someone who has never been injured and you're running, say, 60 or 70 kilometers a week and that's all you can manage, say, with your work in the morning runs, um, but you have some free time in the, in the afternoons or in the evenings and you're, you're not injury prone, um, for sure, try try adding in some adding in some double runs. Um, there's only a few of my athletes that I get doing double runs and I think that's just because I don't do them. Um, so when I first started with MTC, I was like got thrown straight into double runs because it's just what they do. Stress fracture, boom. And then it's like I got back into training and then eventually started double runs again, boom, another injury. So for me, at the age of like 29 now, I've sort of realized, look, unless I can get 12, 12 months of good consistent training with no injury, then I might start to add double runs. I would always add them too early and I'd end up injured. Um, I did my first double run last Wednesday around an hour in the morning and then and then 30, 30 minutes at, at night. Um, and they feel good. They, like I really do enjoy enjoy double runs because it's not too often as as runners like when when would I ever go out for a thirty minute run? But it's it's sort of nice. That's the thing about those about those double runs. But the, I think you know they they have to be my recommendation if you can do them and if your body can handle them. Um, just make sure they're slow. There's absolutely no reason yeah. why you should be you know running hard in a in a double run because that's just that's a yeah sure way to get injured. Well, it's going back to Sarah's question about how do you balance that fine line between pushing yourself and developing an injury. I think there's another thing to be said for, well, just look at your past history, your past injury history, your past training history and how you've dealt with those and what have been the signs and symptoms leading up to it. Because like you say, if you, you've done doubles, you got injured, tried doubles again, got injured, maybe there's something around that uh, might not necessarily be the doubles, but it might be the recovery strategies around those doubles or the intensity or the duration of those doubles or like something there that's uh, leading your body to tell you it's too much. Exactly. And I think every, every athlete's different, you know, like Gen, Genevieve Lacaz or Gen, Genevieve Gregson, as she's now known. Um, she's a really close friend of mine. And, you know, when we were in, uh, would be at training, MTC training camps together at, at Falls Creek, um, we would be in the gym together on the elliptical or on the bike while everyone else was doubling because we just can't handle doubles. She's always said, I can't handle doubles. Um, now she just ran, you know, she just did a great marathon in, in Gold Coast. Um, and I look, I don't know um, how many doubles she was doing. I, yeah, it's, I, I don't think any. Okay. We have one more question coming in from Alan who said that um, I hear elite runners do kilometer or mile intervals, but a lot quicker than recreational runners would. Would you still recommend doing this workout or should we base these repeats on time rather than the distance itself, um, if that makes sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. This is my favorite question to answer. Um, we've answered this on on my podcast before um, and uh, my sometimes new athletes will ask me this and it's the, the great question to answer. And I say to you, Alan, on uh, on race day, when you when you rock up to say you're doing let's say Melbourne Marathon as an example. And if you line up at the start line or when you go to enter, do you say, oh, well, the elites are, are running it in two hours 20, so can I just run 33 kilometers? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, no, you can't. You know, At the end of the day, 99, unless you're doing the hour record or some sort of you know 24-hour run, every single run 
running race that runners do is distance. And as a result of that, you have to train for the distance. So if you're wanting to improve your 10-kilometer time and um, you run 50 minutes for a 10K and you're wanting to run 45 and you're listening to Brett and I on the podcast talking about how we do kilometer reps in 250 and we do eight of them and go home and you're thinking, oh, shit, this sucks that, you know, I have to be, (laughs) those boys get to to finish their workout much quicker than me. It's like, well, if you want to run, if you want to run uh, 45 for that 10K, then you're going to have to do, have to do the full kilometer reps at 4.30 pace. Yeah, at 4.30 pace. So you have to always train the distance um, because that's what you that's what you have to do on race day. You don't get to run any shorter than we do. So it's it's unfortunate. Um, you know, the girls the girls always always laugh in our training group about that too. You know, we'd, we have the same threshold, and they're like, "Oh, geez, you guys get to always finish a couple minutes a couple minutes before us because it's just it's just the way it is." Um, in saying that, though. You have to go back to, to to what we've been talking about pretty much throughout the whole podcast is you, you have to do what your body can handle. So if you're new to running and you're listening to, you know, me or talk about my training week um, and you're thinking, oh, well, I'm just going to jump straight into that. It's like, well, no, that's going to be too much. You know, you really have to have to slowly, slowly build up into, into the distance. But if you are a, a seasoned runner, no matter what pace, yeah, always train the distance. Yeah, I think that's a, a good reminder. And I think just summing up, or at least like in, into this final question as we're wrapping things up, I'd like to ask, what are some top tips for running faster? Because I don't get many um, athletes, professional athletes, sub-elite athletes that are on the podcast that are running such distances so quickly. Um, so for those recreational runners wanting to do faster marathons or half marathons, do you have any tips for them if they're looking to run fast or what's helped you? The number one tip that I can give is consistent training and is what you know we've talked about pretty much this entire podcast. That is my number one tip. If you can if you can bank, so if you set yourself, you know you if you want to run a faster marathon and don't decide four months out of Melbourne. You know, I keep saying Melbourne because I, I live in Melbourne so as an example. But you know, don't decide four months out that you want that ma- ma- that marathon to be your fastest ever, and you're going to train really, really hard for 16 weeks. No, set that Melbourne the next year, so you have you know 60 weeks to try to train for it over a year. You know, so, as much as as much training as you as you can do sorry as, as many weeks of training as you can do back to back to back to back is what is going to make you a better athlete people don't like to hear that because everyone wants the quick the quick answer it's human nature right you just want well what's a quick tip for me to get faster it's like in our in our game there is no quick tip to get faster like yes of course there's little things like maybe if you've been running for a lot and you and you're you're doing it. You're already doing everything we're speaking about running wise, and and you're not you're not getting faster. Well, then it's like okay, maybe you need to address something in the gym, something that you're not doing. Or if, as I said, if you've only um, you've only gotten a certain amount of time each morning to to run, um, and you you've been doing that for a, you've done that for a year or two years, and you're not seeing any 
any benefits, then something needs to change. Maybe you do add some doubles or maybe you do add a third hard workout if your body can handle it. Um, but I think if you're someone who's just come off three months of, you know, uh, you've just been training, say, for, for three or four months since your last injury or your last, you know, sickness of two weeks or something, it's like, well, just train for another six months. Just keep training. Keep doing what you're doing. Bank week after week after week after week after week. And just keep doing that and you slowly shape yourself into a faster runner. There's no shortcuts. Yeah. It's tough to do. It's easier said than done. It's it's I know. And that's, that's exactly right. I you know, I can as you said, it's easier said than done. And I can sit here on a podcast and, and preach all about it. But, you know, I've I've been injured more than most. So it's <laughs> it's really difficult to get right. Sounds like you've certainly been through the ringer. Um and I, I say that to my injured athletes as well, because I, I deal with injured runners all the time if they're wanting to overcome their injury it's about doing the same thing let's try and get four five six good weeks of like your symptoms being really under control because a lot of people have a good week and then they don't jump back and their symptoms like Mm. increase and then when they're feeling good they want to you know jump back into it a bit too quickly and it's like okay well you've had the last six weeks of fluctuating symptoms let's try and bank a couple of successful weeks back to back. And then that creates stability. And then you can have a a bigger foundation to build upon. The same thing is with building fitness. You want to have a really big base of that pyramid before you can start piling on the the top tier sort of stuff. And that base takes time. That base takes years uh, and patience. And like you say, consistency, it's um, yeah. Works wonders when you can do it, but easier said than done. Exactly right. Your podcast for the kudos. Yeah. Like if people are listening to this and they're loving the insight, we're getting your training philosophies and what you're doing. I want to thank you for, you know, putting it all under the microscope for us. And your podcast is exactly that. Like, you know, we get insights into your training and everyone else's training. And (laughs) it's it's also a lot more stupid. Like if, if <laughs> listeners here, you know, are, are nerding out on, on us talking about running and all this and then they're going to go hear me and Brett talking absolute shit and dribble, you know, we, we do muck around a lot um, but we do try and give give as much advice as, as possible and I think people, you know, one of the reasons why we're quite successful is is the balance, right? We, we try and give a lot of information out but, you know, it can be entertaining at the same time and, and we don't we try not to take ourselves too seriously and have fun with it. Yeah, and I think there's there's room for the lighthearted podcasts. Like people go for long runs and they just want something really lighthearted. Like I'll listen to Joe Rogan for hours and they're just talking about nonsense, but it's just in my routine. It's like what what people do. And so um, I think, like you say, the balance of the lightheartedness with some good tidbits about your training structure and injuries and management and all that sort of stuff, I think is a really nice balance. So people can go check that out and uh, anywhere else that people can follow you and learn more about you. Yeah. Other, other than that, um, I'm uh, on Instagram at Joel Tobin Black. Um, it's not Joel Tobin White on Instagram um, <laughs> because Joel Tobin White was taken from an old account that I used to have. So I had to swap the colors out. Um, but yeah, other <laughs> than that, just just go go follow follow the podcast. Go to um, yeah for the kudos on Instagram. Have have a look at see what we're all about. Um, yeah, have a, have a listen to us and and uh, and and see what you see what you think. Yeah, great. Well, like I say, Joel, thanks for again for coming onto the podcast. We've taken your your training and your injuries, your philosophies, your understanding and training and all that sort of stuff, and we've really put it under the microscope and got gained a great insight that's not going to only help 
you know, the elites, but all of these principles just filter down into recreational runners who just want to do a sub four or sub five marathon. And so um, it really comes a long way for a lot of runners. So thanks for coming on and sharing. Absolutely. No worries at all. And thank you so much for having me, Brody. If you are struggling to overcome an injury, you can jump on a free 20-minute injury chat with me, which you can book through my calendar in the show notes. While you're in the show notes, elevate your running IQ by jumping onto my free email list so you can receive material to help rehab your injury, lower your injury risk, and increase your performance. If emails aren't for you, consider my Facebook group, Instagram, and YouTube channels. And remember, each insight you get from these resources brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough.